Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Christine Ignoski, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's great to have you. So um, you are the executive director, is that right? Of the yes, Portrait Society right. of America. I had to look at my notes again. The executive director <laughs> of the Portrait Society of America. And um, so tell me a little bit about what that means. What do you do with the Portrait Society of America? Sure. Sure. Well, I've been here since the founding. Um, the organization was formed in February of 1998. And um, so um, actually it was founded by um, three artists and they had uh, got together. Um, actually, um, my late husband, Ed Jonas, it was really his idea. Many years ago when we first got married, um, we lived in a trailer out in the woods and uh, his studio was next door. And he talked a lot about how he could not find good education um, uh, in realism and in the arts when he was in college. And uh, frustrated by that, he always had this kernel of an idea that for an organization that would be run by artists for artists and would be that bridge between practicing artists and uh, aspiring artists to share techniques, methods, knowledge, uh, you know, just information you could really get at a school, you know, similar to the Hein Academy where people can go and, um, and learn and exchange ideas and in the realist fashion. And that was not available. There was a lot of abstract schools at the time, uh, a lot of art being created that was what I call installation art, found pieces that were installed. And um, so he was really frustrated by that. And so th that was the first um, time I'd heard him talk about it when we first got married. And it was about um, 15 years later that um, he, he really uh, gelled the idea and um, traveled to New York and asked um, some of the leading artists at the time, Ray Kinsler, Bert Silverman, uh, Bill Draper, Dan Green, to come on board and advise them on how to go forward. And so after that was all formed, the board asked me to quit my job and um, come on board as the executive director. And um, that was 25 years ago. And we started with, um, you know, of course, zero members. Um, that first year or the next year we had a conference. Um, we had 400 artists come. And we've just been building the society since then. And um, so from zero programs, uh, now we have 22 programs, um, four publications, and a variety of services. So um, that's how I, I came on board. And um, it's really been my life's work. Um, I love it. Um, artists are really easy people to work for. And um, I really enjoy um, my role here. Except I think you're being too kind because I know we're a pain in the butt to work for because um, 
I, I know <laughs> that none of us that none of us do anything on time. Is that is that right? Well, that's true. That's true. I think it helped me being married to an artist for yeah. thirty seven years. I truly understood that that the the time is, um, yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah, you guys are infinitely patient. So I used to think I was the only one who was a pain in the butt for you guys, and then um, other artists have been like, "Oh yeah, I never get anything on time to them." It's terrible. I'm so sorry. No, you're no, you're in you're in good company. You're in good company. So, um, what were you doing before? What was your job before you uh, quit and sure. started doing this? So, my my undergrad is in political science, and um, that's what I was doing. I was working for the Academy of Florida Trial Lawyers in their uh, political action committee, and um, so we uh, ran elections and. Um, campaigns and um, really also worked for the association there. So I learned a lot of um, what I apply at the Portrait Society there um, mm. because it was an association. We did educational programs as well as um, political um, fundraising. So. Wow, that was kind of uh, serendipitous that he married uh, someone uh, you, with your skill set, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, actually, and you know, when Ed and I first got married, he he was the head uh, artist and designer for the Museum of Florida History, and he really wanted to go out on his own, and so we put a plan together. It took us two years um, for him to leave the state, and um, we put a plan together um, how many portraits he would need to do a year, um, how to go, put a portfolio together, and how to go out there and um, get those commissions. So. Um, yeah, it, it really was a, a, a partnership. And um, I think, you know, I think most artists find that in life. If they don't have a gallery, um, they need an office manager or uh, somebody in their life that can um, carry the business part while they do the creative side. So are you really Ed's only agent? Did he never use galleries at all? He did not. He um, he didn't use agents or galleries. Um, we we put a business plan together and followed it. And it's interesting because Ed was always uh, willing and excited to share his work with other people. So as long as he could get an appointment, he usually um, he was usually able to get the commission. So uh, in the beginning. Of course, you know, it's a little bit different now, I think, because of the Internet, as we're talking 30 something years ago. But he put together a portfolio of his best work. Um, he we, we brainstormed about people that he knew in his life that might be interested in a portrait and interesting story. He he decided to approach the secretary of state because the Museum of Florida History came underneath the um, secretary of state and his name was George Firestone. And. He, his idea was he would just approach him and ask him to do his portrait. If he liked it, he could buy it. And if he didn't didn't really like it, then he didn't have to buy it. Yet. Really? And it was one of his first, it, yep. And it was one of his very first commissions. And um, I think it's one of his best paintings. I love the painting. Um, and be, I think partly because he had a lot of freedom um, on what he wanted to do because he just asked him and he said, yes, I would love to have a portrait done. And, and um, he's sitting in a chair with a, um, a vase next to him that he had collected on his travels. And uh, it's really just a fantastic painting. 
No kidding. Yeah, that's incredible. So you had this great job, which obviously paid off with what you did with the Porch Society and what you did for Ed for all those years. But how did, was it scary for you to leave something so secure and and uh it was totally scary. it was, was totally it? scary because well because um you know ed had gone out on his own about he'd been out probably about 10 years and so anytime i think you have um two you know two people you know going out on their own because really coming to the portrait society was like being self-employed because uh, you know it, it it was you know zero there was not it didn't exist before and so building it from the ground up, um, yeah, it was really scary. Um, Ed's, Ed's career was pretty established, but as with you know, um, Jeff, if, if you're not selling work or you don't have commissions, then you don't have an income unless you've been able to create some other, some other kind of stream of income. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that part was really scary. And we worked really, really hard in the beginning, um, you know, when um, Ed, Ed and Gordon first formed the Portrait Society, and Ed's always been a really big idea man, but mm -hmm. he's not wasn't always an execution guy. And so he he's like, I love coming up with the ideas, but I don't want to be the front man. And so um, you know, he asked Gordon Wetmore if he would do it, and he said he would, and he just he was perfect for the job. And um, so Gordon and I worked really closely together. Uh, and, and lots of hours in the very beginning. I came the first year and I worked for free. And that was just a commitment that Ed and I made. We, we, we thought that it would be successful. We thought there was a need out there, but you never know until you really start doing something, whether that's really gonna work out. So the first year, um, the office was in Ed's studio and, um, and I worked for free. And by the end of that first year, we had about, 550 members and the next year we had our first conference and we had 400 people um attend so that's incredible you know, we found out quickly that, that yeah we found it really quickly that there was a need for it and how did you get the word out because this was not really pre-internet but the, it certainly wasn't it a was tool like on we the borderline of yeah, yeah it was you know marketing was a lot different back then print media was really the way to reach people and so we we advertised in American Artist Magazine, um, fabulous magazine. I was sad when when it left uh, yeah. um, the industry, and um, that's really how how we reached out. And we did a lot of mail too. Um, we had, um, but we did that initial ad, and then we collected um, addresses and names after that, and built a whole mailing list. And so we did a lot of mail. <clears throat> we actually had a brochure that we mailed. Um, we, uh, we ended up with a list of about 12,000 people and, and we mailed brochures. No kidding. So a lot different. <clears throat> yeah. And, a lot different. And um, you're spending money. You're not only not taking a paycheck, but you're spending money on ads and mailing yeah, and, mailings yeah. and so forth. We really believed in it, Jeff. We really believed that artists, um, I often say it takes as long to become an artist as it does a doctor. Because you can get the education, you can go into an art school for four years, but then you really need to come out and go to an atelier and be immersed a little bit like a fellowship for a doctor. You get immersed into the area that you want to study in. And then it's probably, it'd be very ideal then to work underneath an artist for another year. 
And so um, I, I think it's really an investment of time and education. And, you know, it's obviously really good if you have some talent and skill. But if you apply yourself, I think you can learn to draw, um, you know, and if you have the desire and a little bit of talent and then you seek out the education. But really, the country went through a time between the 1950s and the 1970s where you could not find a traditional education at a university. It was um, all abstract and um, and and really, if you wanted to be a realist artist, you, you were almost put down if you attended a school. Um, and so, you know, the need was there, I think, and I still think the need is there as far as bringing people together. And so I think the need was maybe education-based, but as, um, you know, what you found in Atelier, you must have the same experience that artists come to you and say, I can't, I, I haven't been able to find somebody that's gonna teach me how to stretch a canvas, how to mix colors, how to understand value. They just were not teaching that. Even now, I, I think they just tell students to just go out and buy a canvas. Mm -hmm. um, but there's something, there's something valuable to learning about your materials and to be able to stretch a canvas and prime it and understand how the paint applies to that. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah. I, think it's, I, I think the need's a little bit different. I think you can find education now, but I think the community is now, is what we hear is valuable um, to artists coming to the conference as um, that community that's created. Yeah, well, that's the thing that I value most about the conference. I mean, as you know, I've been, I guess it's been like 10 years since you first invited me to be on the faculty. And uh -huh. I just, I look forward to April every year. I mean, it's so much fun to be part of it and to go see you guys, the staff, to see the the artists that show up to be on the faculty. It's such, it's like this big art family it really is. It's like a bond, like a uh, because um, it's interesting too. Because when we first started uh, started out, we hired a lot of interns from FSU um, to help us, and um, and and those people are still with us, Jeff. They've moved on. They've they've got their own careers, and they come back as our on-site staff. You know, so you probably met Gina Cohen and Lauren mm -hmm. Miller. They're our on-stage managers. They both, um, Lauren interned for Ed and Gina worked for me and then interned with Ed. And they're still coming back. They mm -hmm. just really believe in the mission of the Portrait Society and they see what it does for artists. And so, you know, they've gone on and they have their own professional lives, but they take a week off every year and they come back. We've got a core of about 15 people that, um, you know, really help us because we could never, there's only four of us here in the office. We could never put on an event like that without that kind of help. Right. And so who is in the office full-time? So it's, um, it's me and then Kim Azarito, and she's been here 21 years and she uh, takes care of um, accounting and budget and then conference. And then a couple other special programs. She does the signature series and then um, everybody works on marketing together. Um, that's a team effort. And then Amanda Oliver, she's been here 17 years, and um, she does all the membership and registration for the conference. And then Allison Gilliard has been here uh, just about four years, and she takes care of the State Ambassador programs, Cecilia Bow Forum, uh, marketing, exhibitors, and so she's kind of like a special projects person. So. 
And we do have a part-time person, Carrie Mortimer, and she just comes in um, a few hours a week seasonally, and she takes care of the six by nine, that um, mystery art um, fundraiser that we do once a year. So tell me a little bit about what it takes to put one of these conferences together. Because when, when, I, yeah. when I show up, it just runs like a fine clock, you know? I mean, it, everything just... I'm, it goes, I'm so glad you said that. But we I mean, I know you guys are just running like chickens with your heads cut off too, right? Yeah. But yeah. what does it, it take? It is a lot of work. It takes us... Yeah, it starts about 18 months out. I think sometimes when people come, they're like, oh, well, I could do this. Because, you know, I've, I've seen a couple organizations come and go. And they're like, yeah, they work out the numbers. Okay, if you have 500 people and they're all paying 500, it sounds like you're collecting a lot of money in tuition, um, but the effort and the expense, really, it's it's a break-even proposition for us. Um, but what it, what it takes, it's about 18 months out, we start. Um, we find a hotel, a property, we sign a contract, um, and, you know, you have to make a lot of guarantees to that hotel that you're going to book sleeping rooms and that you're going to, um, you know, have a certain amount at the dinner and make your food and beverage. Um, so it's sort of like putting on um, a really, really large wedding once a year. It just has all the details of that kind of program. A really, so really large wedding. Yes, a really large <laughs> wedding. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So... And, you know, it, it's funny, too, because through the years we've grown, we've added programs to it. And so when you when you when you really look at the weekend, there's a lot of moving parts, like you said, mm -hmm. they're, they're just it's yeah, it takes a lot of behind the scenes. Um, we have a really large document that we all work in, and that's where the details get put in on, on um, because you think about it, just um, asking the faculty to serve is the first step, but then you have to make sure that the rooms are set with the AV that you need and that the supplies you need and that the next event that's coming can turn over in a timely manner. And so, and, and moving that many people through a whole day is a lot of on-site work, yeah. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about the, um, you mentioned Kim, she does, now I'm, Forgive me, I forgot what you called it. It's that kind of like mini portrait society conference. What do you what do you call that that you do? I I did one um, in Oklahoma. We, yeah, the Portrait Academy. That was great. I love that. Oh Oklahoma no, you event. said something else. It was a different name that Kim does. She runs something. She does now the signature status, that. which is oh, a different that's group the award of, thing. Yes, right. So right, that's right, right. the um, program we started six years ago. Um, it may be longer than that. It may be eight now. And um, where artists can apply for signature status with the Portrait Society. And so you have to fill out an application, submit your work, and there's um, certain requirements. You have had to um, teach in the field and um, and then also been uh, accepted into um, a competition, either internationally or nationally. So, okay. um, yeah, it's yeah. a really it's a really neat designation program. Yeah, that really is. No, and and I was mixed up. I thought that you were referring to the academy thing that you do, but tell me a little bit yeah, more the about that. Academy. Yeah, tell me. So those are yeah, those are smaller meetings that we decided to um, try to host around the country. Um, we usually do it at a museum. So for the one that you were involved in, we were at the um, Oklahoma Museum there, the Cowboy Museum, and um, 
it was a great um, space. They um, had um, classroom space for us and then that large demo space. And um, so we've been at the Hunter Museum of Art. Um, we were in um, Nashville at um, Lipskin University. So, and then we went to Miami and we did one at Vizcaya. And so it's an opportunity for people to come in a little bit smaller venue. Um, we only have about a hundred people. We limit it to a hundred people. And then we paint um, our draw the next day too. And so it's a little bit of a hands-on as well as a, a, a first night. Now for your event, we did a tri-state competition and that was really fun. That venue had exhibit space. And so um, we did um, a three-state competition and um, exhibition and then an awards. So um, I think you and Rose um, judged that. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was really, it was a mini version of the conference, but because it's so many much less uh, people attending, you can really have a more intimate experience as an attendee. That's why we started them. And how many of those do you do a year? Well, we tried, we, we used to do three a year and then the pandemic has sort of gotten us um, off our game of doing that. So we'll probably go back um, to doing those, but we do, we try to do three in the fall. Okay. The last one we did, we did online. Okay. Are you guys yeah. still doing things online or it? We are. On? So you we, are. um, we implemented, we did, we've done, um, we've done two portrait academies online, I think, and one conference online. And, um, so that was quite the learning curve for us. Um, uh, and so we had to really get some help on, in teaching us how to run that kind of, um, you know, uh, program and then working with the faculty, you know, getting them up to speed too, to make sure that they all had, um, equipment that they needed to be able to do that too. So, um, yeah, I hope we do go back because I think they were really beneficial programs. Yeah. The audience should know just how unbelievably smooth this whole thing goes and the amount of technology and equipment that just runs like clockwork. Yeah, we have the same AV company that's been traveling us with this this whole time. Mm -hmm. And so they they have their own setups. So they set up nine feet. Uh, I think we're up to 10 feet by 20 feet screens on either side of the main stage. And that's a complicated thing with the lighting and the two cameras. So everybody has a really good seat in the room. Um, yeah, so we've been really fortunate to be able to keep the same team and then have that same staff. I think that helps a lot because everybody has institutional experience and knowledge about how we've been doing it and what works and doesn't work. So we always have a post-conference meeting we're like, okay, well, that event didn't work. We're not doing that again. Or this went really well. We need to make sure that we repeat it in that way. So. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, some of the highlights that you've seen over the years in the conferences, some memorable things that have happened. Okay. Sure. Sure. So, um, you know, what immediately comes to mind is some of the challenges in the background mm -hmm. we, we, um, uh, that nobody sees or knows about. But um, when we went to Dallas um, about three weeks before we were getting ready to leave, the hotel called me and said, the room where you were booked, they had like a hundred year flood there. And the room where you were booked has been flooded. Oh, and you got to be kidding me. 
I'm not. And so, you know, we're all ready to go. We we send a truck from Florida wherever we're going um, with all of our things on it. And of course, the AV truck is a semi. And so it comes from another location. And um, so that was a challenging year for sure, because um, they were able to sort of fit us in some other areas of the hotel, but not like what we were used to with a dedicated room. We had to move things and walk a long ways in between. And then while we were there, actually one of our rooms um, uh, flooded. And so, yeah, that was challenging. But, you know, there's a couple of really um, big high points um, for me. Um, one of them actually didn't happen at the conference. Um, about 16 years ago, I think, um, we formed another um, committee within the Portrait Society called the Cecilia Bow Forum. And it was really focused on um, the women experience as an artist and how, you know, women have not been in the workforce that long. And when you look at, um, at art through the years, a lot of times people um, became artists and were nurtured as artists by mentors. And that so they would enter a studio um, and uh, mentor with that artist and be um, educated, but also helped in getting commissions um, through that artist, especially if it was a well-known artist, then um, they may hand commissions down. And, you know, women were not even allowed to um, go to art school um, in the past. And mm. so it. We really wanted to address some of those issues um, as far, and so we formed the Cecilia Bow um, Forum. Judy Carducci was um, the chair up until just a couple of years ago, um, and she's now retired. But um, so we formed three committees, and one was mentoring to really intentionally match people up. And then the other one was literature, which is still part of um, the journal, and it's just a dedicated two pages to profile a women artist that is either uh, historical or contemporary. And then the third um, portion was an exhibit um, committee. And we wanted to have an exhibit of uh, women artists because I don't know if you've seen the statistics, but um, collection of women artists in museums is like 3% of the art, 3% hmm. of the artists in museums are women artists. And so we wanted to just show there are women out there working and creating art. And so we hosted this um, exhibition called The Inspiring Figures. And it was at the Butler Museum. Um, I think it's the Butler Museum of American Art. And it's in Youngstown, Ohio. And it was a three-tiered exhibition. And we had uh, a historical portion. And we borrowed work from different museums. And then a contemporary where we had an invitational, we invited 10 artists. And then there was a competition section. And um, so people submitted work. And just when I stepped in that day to the Butler Museum and all that work was hanging and showcased and you could just see the level of skill and commitment, um, it was really, yeah, it's one of the most memorable parts of um, of my tenure here. Um, and of course, the very first time we had a conference, because I didn't really know <laughs> what I was getting into, um, just, 
Yeah, I can remember that, just that feeling of, you know, we're here, um, you know, the stage is set, the artists are all here, the attendees are all here, you know, like, yeah, I really, you know, we really did pull it off. So, and I'm still amazed every year, you know, that opening night, that Thursday night where everybody's painting in the same room, um, where we started off and that there was only three in the beginning, and now we have 18 artists in that big ballroom. Um, and whenever we kick that off, I'm just uh I just feel really um, so proud that we're all together and people are so energized and um, yeah, there's not anything like it. I, I don't know of anything like that in, in the country. Um, no, I don't think there is. And so, yeah. Yeah. That face off is a blast. So for people who don't know what it is, like you mentioned, 18 artists are all drawing. We're grouped into three, um, three artists per model. And then there's an audience of uh, what a thousand people or something yeah. that just yeah. wanders yeah. around. Yeah, we have seven hundred to thousand regularly. Yeah. yeah, that just wanders around behind these groups of eighteen artists and watches them paint. It's like um, workshop on steroids. I mean, eighteen different professional artists painting all at the same time in one room. Um, it's really a cool idea. Who came up with that? Um, so, you know, that idea, um, actually came from Ed, oh, okay. <laughs> <Your> man. <laughs> yeah. and, um, we tried it in Boston for the very first time and we were in three separate rooms mm. and it worked really, really well. And so it grew into, um, you know, it grew in, it was just one artist and one model. And, um, so it's grown into what it is today and I love it. I, you know, we've thought about changing programs, but we've never thought about changing that program. We've made some adjustments to it. We made sure that we, we added sculpt, um, sculpture in there. Um, and we always want to have drawing. Um, we've had watercolor. Um, we've had pastel. So we want to make sure that the mediums are covered, too. Um, and um, the variety of artists in there are very different, too. So, um, And one thing's really fun, too, Jeff, as you know, since you've done it, is when you when the artists come in the room, they draw a number and then they go to that number. So you're you, you don't get to pick the group that you're working mm -hmm. in. That part's a surprise. And that came from Dawn Whitelaw. She does that at at some of her workshops. And you just pick a number. So um, that's that's the model that you get and the spot you get. Mm -hmm. It can be a little intimidating. Do you find it intimidating at all? Well, <clears throat> I don't know if intimidating is the right word, but I find it. No, I don't know what the right word is. Let's put it this way. I'm definitely hopeful when I get there that I draw a number with a model that I'm inspired by. You know, it's hit and miss. Sometimes yeah. I am, sometimes I'm not. And you just got to do, you know, do with it what you can. But but other yeah, than that, so it's, it's a, fine. It's a mystery. Yeah, it's a mystery on the model and on the group because it's really fun if you get a group that you really can click with because then together you set up the model. And then you're painting for the whole evening for three hours together. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, I've never had a group that I didn't click with. That's it. Like it's like I said, it always just oh, feels great. like a good, a big family there. Everyone's kind of like-minded. We all have a similar attitude toward painting and drawing. So yeah, I've never yeah, had a group I, I didn't that's like. That's really great. The other thing that is really good is we try to find hotels that um, that we're the only group in there. Um, we have had the experience. We went to Chicago and Boston and we were at very large properties there. So we weren't just the only group in there. And it's the opportunity to create community when 
you get on the elevator, when you walk down the hall, every person that you see is an artist. And, you know, artists create by themselves in their studio. So if you can get out and be, you know, with people that love the same thing you do and every person that you meet has that similar um, shared experience, it does create it does create a bond. Yeah. And you do another thing that I think really helps with this this idea of a bond or at least a positive environment is every Sunday morning at the end of the conference, you do something what's called, uh, is it inspirational hour? Inspirational hour. Uh -huh. Yeah. Tell us about that. Sure. So, um, you know, it really started originally Gordon came up with that idea and it was, it was almost an opportunity for artists to get together that maybe worshiped on Sunday morning. And so when we first started it, it, it had more of a religious basis, but it's kind of, um, you know, we have an international uh, population and we felt, you know, it was sort of a Christian base and we felt like, you know, we need to really acknowledge that there's a wide belief out there for all different cultures. And so we've moved it now into more um, artists telling their personal story about what inspires them in their life or something in particular that they want to talk about. I know Leslie Adams um, conducted it one year and um, she talked about her um, the the portrait that she did of her her self portrait as a child writing on a, a, a blackboard. And it was part of an exhibit there in Ohio. And she actually brought the exhibit and then she talked about it on Sunday morning. I know Greg Mortensen talked about um, he traveled to Haiti right after the hurricane um, about 12 years ago and um, helped was helping rebuild and then ended up meeting all these children that were in an orphanage. And he did um, a whole series of portraits of them. So it's been, um, I know you did one for us. Um, and so it's, it's um, really a time for people to get together and hear a personal story about an artist, something that they've done um, either in their community or with their work. How have guests responded to this over the years? What kind of, um, feedback have you gotten? You know, um, I think I just love artists because one thing in addition to being able to, you know, create really beautiful work is they, they usually are very articulate about their experiences. So we've gotten some just wonderful letters through the years from people on what it's meant. And a lot of people, um, uh, credit their careers to us because of the connections that they've made as a society. I know you did a podcast with Michelle Dunaway mm -hmm. and um, she has a wonderful story that when she, the very first time she came to the conference, she was in the uh, international portrait competition and um, Richard Schmidt saw her painting there and contacted her and they ended up, you know, having a very close relationship and asked her to be part of the Putney painters and, um, so it's been a great um, influence in her life. And um, she talks about that. And, and, you know, she made that connection by being in, in the competition. So, um, and I think that same year, Joseph Daly was in the competition. I don't know if you've ever seen his portrait, but he did a portrait of his then father-in-law. And he was um, in a kilt by the fireplace. Mm -mm. And that year, Minnie Churchill was our keynote speaker. Um, and 
um, she uh, uh, runs the Wil- uh, the Winston Churchill Foundation because Winston Churchill was an artist. He was pretty pretty good artist. He was a watercolorist, and um, so she came and um, was our keynote speaker. And she saw Joseph's painting. And uh, I'll let me back up and share this with you because I think this is a great story. So when Gordon called him to tell him he was a finalist, his mother answered the phone and she said, oh, he's out painting. And she's, he's like, oh, well, when he finishes painting and comes back in, would you have him call me? Is, it, is, is he at his studio? And she said, no, he paints houses for a living. He <laughs> wants to be an artist, but he paints houses for a living. And so, um, you know, Joseph called Gordon back when he got back. He was delighted, brought that painting. It ended up um, uh, winning, I believe it won um, Best of Show, because, you know, we used to have a category grand prize and then Best of Show. We've we've retooled those because it was a little bit confusing. But Winnie Churchill saw that painting and loved it, and she ended up commissioning him for like 21 paintings over the, over the next three years. So he traveled from the United States to the um, to the UK uh, many times over the next three years. And then he would do a painting for a family. That family would, you know, recommend him. And so really, he does credit the Portrait Society with starting his career because he was a house painter just before he came to the conference. you got to be kidding me. That's no. amazing. Isn't that a great story? Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Well, and that brings yeah. up another thought that about the contest. One thing that I tell people all the time is that I've been to so many museums and galleries, and I can honestly say that I never see more incredible work or more work at, at such a high level in one room than I do when I see this contest every year. I mean, you go to museums and there's a gem and then not so much of a gem and then a gem and then not I so know. much. I know. But you go to this contest and there's 25 master works every single year, like the best of the best. I know. I feel I feel that way, Jeff. When I'm standing there, I was like, this is a museum show. This is being a show for six weeks so everybody can see it. Yeah. And I have not been able to figure out that logistic. You know, I, I, I I've often thought, it should be a show at the National Portrait Gallery because uh, you're right. It's like curated. It's like the best work being created because you know, it has to be a recent work. So, mm-hmm. um, and I like that part because they all look contemporary in the room. If you just allowed um, work at, at any point in an artist's career, I think it could be dated in that room. And so we, we do have that rule. It has to be created in the last three years and um and never won a prize so you you won't have seen it before and it will be created recently and then we go through a really rigorous um judging uh process and i've been asked a couple times about it so if we have time i'd love to tell you about it so people can really have a good understanding um I've often thought it'd be great if we could record something so people could see it. But so everybody submits um, online and it's anonymous. So you're assigned a number and not not a name, but a number. And then the first round um, or the first series of rounds are conducted um, by a three panel um, uh, of jurors. And they look at every single work. And the first round, it has to have... um, 
It has to have at least two yeses for it to come. Oh, I'm sorry. It, it can only, it can, it only needs to have one yes for it to move through. So anybody can move it through. And so that, you know, comes to the next round. So we probably start out with about maybe 2,500 and then we get down to about 1,700 with the, with the, just a one yes forward. And these and we are go on applicants. To another round. These are applicants from all over the yeah, world. Yeah. So all over the world. Yep. Right. And so then, the the subsequent rounds um, are are two yeses have to move it forward, and so then we get down to about two hundred when we get to that point, and then three yeses have to move it forward, and so usually we get to we get to about um, maybe fifty five then, and then from there we go you know final in the room, and so that has to be unanimous too. It takes us about three days um, wow. and of all day. And yes. And so it's quite. And so then those people are invited to bring their original work on display at the conference. And that's judged from the originals, which we all know. Anytime you see an image visually on, you know, digitally, um, it's not the same as when you can you get the opportunity to see it in person. And so a different a different panel of judges than judges on site. And um, that's a very specific process too. So um, we have three judges, they judge the room independently, they go through it with a clipboard and they select who would they want to be grand prize, first place, second, third, fourth, and fifth, and then honorable mention. And then Kim and I tally those, we sign a number to them and we tally those and we go back and present it to the panel. And then there's some negotiation from there. If you have two people that really are close for the grand prize, then they they go through a critique very similar to um, I think you did a critique at um, the conference one time where people brought mm -hmm. original work and we talked about it. They each each juror goes up and says, you know, this is what I find um, uh, relevant and um, and good about this painting. These are this is an area that I find a problematic in this composition or this anatomy and another juror may say you know that doesn't really bother me I think that enlarged hand is intentional and so there's a lot of that until they finally settle on on those placements hmm. so that way one judge can't really you know favor something and bring it all the way through um, and um, so it's it's I think it's a really good process and I think it's very um, a, a very balanced because you until we get to the conference, those jurors, they don't know who they are because you're assigned a number. Now, obviously, once you get there, you know, they, they, they know the name. But I've been in there every single year, and they're diligent and conscientious, and they're very aware that they're judging a fellow artist's work. So they're really respectful and thoughtful and um, very conscientious. They take the duty very seriously. And how do you choose these judges, the final ones that are artists? Yeah, so we um, we do it a little bit um, uh, different each year. Um, so we try to have a board member and an advisory board member and then another selected judge. And so we try to pick somebody that um, has a lot of experience. So like Bill Chambers is on the panel this year and he um, is very involved in OPA and he has judged a lot of shows um, for them. So we want a good combination of somebody um, that's uh, really um, 
you know, top-notch artist, but also has experience being um, impartial and judging something. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want somebody to just come and be attracted to their own style and their own technique. Um, we want them to be able to say, um, and we do give them a written um, description of what the Portrait Society is looking for um, as far as, you know, uh, proficiency within the medium, um, anatomy, um, composition, and then if they've met all of these criteria, have they also then gone forward and what, you know, is the aesthetic sophisticated? Um, are the, is the artist able to communicate some message that they're trying to say? So um, we do um, give a little pre, you know, pre-information about what we want the judges to look for. So this year is kind of a special year for the contest. It is. You, I was so hoping you'd ask me yeah, that question. Yeah, can you tell us why? So, yeah, so we took the prize money from 25000 to 50000 We wanted to do that in celebration of our 25th year. Um, and, you know, we're hoping that we can continue on, that we can find a donor, um, maybe rename the prize after that donor. Um, and we're really, um, uh, you know, um, after... Um, after Ed's death, uh, Michael, uh, well, Don Whitelaw actually was the interim um, chair for um, about a year. And then Michael Shane Neal was appointed chair after that. And he and I and the other board members have been working really hard um, to say, where's the Portrait Society now? And are we relevant? And what do we need to be doing in the next 10 years to um, to serve uh you know, portrait art, are, are we, what's our role? And here's what we're doing now. And are all of those things, do we need to keep it, this thing and then maybe either adjust this or not have this program anymore or add this program or deepen this program? So we're going through that now. We've had a couple of leadership meetings in Nashville and um, and out of one of those leadership meetings was the idea to raise the um the grand prize of $50,000. We really want it to be the premier competition um, for figurative and portrait art um, in, in the country um, and, and internationally too. And I think uh, raising that prize to that level really, you know, spotlights that. Well, it's motivating because <laughs> I'll tell you what, I love it. I a love lot it. of artists it's, are going to paint yes, for it this year. That's a lot yeah. of changing in number. Um, and so I remember when they first had the arts in the parks. Do you remember that? I don't. Um, Richard Schmidt won it, won it um, one year, and I, I can't remember how many years it, it went on. I was sad to see it go. But, um, you know, so any any painting that was done from a national park could be entered in the show. And the prize was $50,000. Mm. And um, and I, I, it's it's not happening anymore that I know of. Um but um, it was really um, a talked about competition. And I hope the same thing will happen for the Portrait Society um, competition. I know that um, it's, it's held in high esteem now, but we really, um, we really just want to broaden our reach to people. And yeah. so I'm hoping by, that, uh, by doing that, we can. Oh, I think you already have. Yeah, a lot of people are talking about it. I've definitely heard a lot of people talk about it. So that's great. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, so tell me, you know, that brings up another thought and that is, you know, money, unless you get a donor, money's coming out of your pocket. I mean, this is a nonprofit organization. 
you guys are cutting yeah. yourself a check, which I'm assuming you're not rolling in dough. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, no. So tell me a little bit about that. Why did you choose to go nonprofit versus profit? Because a lot of companies are popping up that are about education. I mean, nothing is quite like yours. Yours is unique, but um, but they're for profit. And so tell us, right. tell us a little bit about why you went the direction you went. Sure. So I'll give you a little backstory. So when Ed first came up with the idea, um, you know, we, we had not been very married very long and he really wanted to go out on his own. And so we sort of set the idea aside to, you know, make that happen first. And he came back around about 10 years after that. And um, at the time he had met um, uh, Leon Lord, who had a portrait agency. And he, he told him about the idea and he ended up starting, um, it, it was called the American Society of Portrait Artists, ASAPA. And Ed and Gordon and a number of other artists served on the board. Um, they had a couple of events and, um, but you know, Ed's idea, the kernel of his idea was that it would be a nonprofit. And the reason why he wanted it to be a nonprofit was a number of reasons. Um, one thing is that a lot of the artists, um, well, all, all the artists were donating their time. The board was donating their time and the faculty was donating their time. And so if you're doing that, if you're not, you know, able to share, you know, what you're the, you know, the uh, tuition, you know, on that kind of level, um, then you really want to have a nonprofit so that, you know, long after anybody that's serving or contributing, it goes on because um, if you're run for, by a board and no one is being self inured by that, so no one's profiting from that, then you've created something, you've created a structure that can go on beyond you. Then if you are an owner, um, a lot of times, um, you know, if the owner decides they don't want to do that anymore or that owner passes away, then that, that stops with that and also I, but can't I you think, just sell the company I, think, I mean you yeah you could sell the company you could instead of just stopping it you could sell it hmm. um but I, you know in my experience what has happened by by making it a nonprofit, the people that donate it to it um I'll, you know because it's a charitable organization the Fort society is formed as a 501c3 and so the donor is able to write that off as um, as a tax deduction on their tax return. But then also the faculty are donating their services and the board is donating their services. So no board member gets paid. A lot of times when you serve on a bank board, it's a paid position. None of our board members get paid. And so all of the time. And so it's almost like people bring their best to me because it, you know, I don't know if you've ever been like on a home building team for like, you know, Ed and I used to go to Guatemala every year mm -hmm. and you paid your own way. And um, we went there and built homes, drove up in the mountains and built homes um, for indigent people that um, uh, didn't have a home. They just had like lean tos. It was it was it's quite the experience. But it was almost like everybody was on a team because everybody was the same at the same level. Everybody paid for their own way there. Everybody was donating their time, taking their time off of work. And it was like everybody's pulling in the same direction. I think when you have an owner and you're for profit, 
your focus is different. Your focus is the bottom line, not the, not always the content. It's like, how can we increase our bottom line? And so for us, you know, we don't make any money off the conference. We just break even. And because that doesn't mean that we don't need funding because we do the, we have to do the fundraising part. That's true. Um, but um, it's like everybody's pulling the same in the same direction. And the other component is, um, is the portrait society will go on because it's not connected to one person. Um, and people will step up, you know, um, and fill those positions as people retire. And, and then two, I think also that your mission is different. When you have a for-profit, um, a lot of times your mission is, you know, you have to stay in business and you want to make money. But for a nonprofit, your mission is your public statement. And for us, that is to promote and further the traditions of fine art portraiture and um, figurative work. And so really, uh, you know, everything, every program we come up with, it's like, does it meet your mission statement? And is the effort um, going to your, to your mission? And for a for-profit, you know, I think sometimes programs are created. Um, this will make us a lot of money. Let's do this. Well, are you analyzing it on who benefits and is the learning going to go on? And, you know, are you going to help a person um, or are you just creating this because it's going to make you money? Right. Right. I like that. That's so. That brings up a thought that I've had for quite some time because I really value the Portrait Society and what you guys do. Um, have you thought much about, I mean, you can't do this forever. <laughs> yeah, You've probably got 40 years left. You're still young, but what happens yeah. after? Well, I'm 65. So, you know, I, I am sort of thinking about retirement a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, uh, Shane just has this real commitment to, um, look at the next decade to look at the next 10 years and um we're actually in the process of creating um a fundraising um arm that um we could match maybe some art patrons with the portrait society and um we're really working hard on that i'm really excited it's going very well we're not quite ready to unveil it and then um, the other thing is, you know, I do probably have a long range plan. So what I would do is, um, you know, find um, an executive director in transition and probably overlap that person for a couple of years. Mm. Um, and then I would love to um, stay on in some kind of part time capacity for, you know, another three to five to six years because, um you know, I love the Portrait Society and it means a lot to me. And I want to just make sure um, before I would fully retire that it would be really secure for the next, you know, uh, a decade. And one of, one of those is, and Shane's really committed to this, and I believe in it too, is to establish an endowment. And, and I'm not going to go anywhere until that's established. And most, most nonprofits that have been around, like uh, the Artists Fellowship, I think it's been around since like 1874, they have an endowment. The National Sculptural Society, they've been around for, I think, over 100 years. They have an endowment. And it just is a way to secure, um, to secure the future uh, of mm. the society. The other thing that we've done that's been really, really smart is we bought a building. Um, it's probably been about eight years ago. And um, it's a home and we renovated it and we got it for a very reasonable price and renovated it into our office. 
and I think we only owe about $70,000 on it. And it's, it's a little bit over 2,400 square feet. And it's just, you know, it's another way to say that the Porch Society has, you know, roots and, um, and really we have no debt. You know, we've been very careful with our money. We've been very responsible um, with it. And so we have no debt and we own the building. And so that's really solid footing. And then you add the endowment component in there and maybe matching up some patrons. And I think um, uh, the future will be really, really good. And then we're also going to evaluate, you know, we have 22 programs and publications. We're going to look at each one of those and make sure we're, we're you know, in the, in the right uh, posture that we need to be in. Okay. So you keep mentioning Shane, but for those who don't know who you're talking about, it's Michael Shane Neal, who I also right. interviewed on the podcast. So tell me about I saw his, that. That was yeah, great. he was a great, a great interview. Um, tell me about what his involvement is. So he's the chair. Um, okay. and so there's an executive board, um, and, uh, that's made up of Don Whitelaw. She's the vice chair, um, Mary White, uh, Wendy Caporell and Kwang Ho. And so they're what I would call a working board. Um, they're very um, involved, um, uh, and we do we do most of those um, by Zoom and um, have an agenda. And so they would direct um, the activities probably um, and the programs of the Portrait Society. And then we have an advisory board, and um, so they'd be more like a think tank. Um, and so we might. Um, present to them a variety of ideas and they would analyze those and say, you know, what they'd like to keep and what they, you know, what they don't think is good. So, so it's really a two, two part board that oversees the activities. And how long has Kwong been on the board? I didn't know Kwong Ho was on the board. He just, he just joined the board. Oh, so he's okay. been on about seven months. He just joined. Okay. Yeah. Well, that explains and why Wendy, I didn't know. Yeah. And Wendy just joined too. So um, yeah, I'm happy to have both of them on. Oh I yeah. Think That's a powerhouse. Powerhouse group yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, um, so is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that relates to the Portrait Society? Um, probably um, just, you know, for your listeners that may not know a lot about it, um, you know, we do have a website and it has um, all the information of the different programs that we do. Um, oh, yeah, there's the um, their homepage. So you can see um, we have um, four competitions that um, – that we host um, each year. We have a members only, um, the international, uh, the self-portrait, and then the future generations. And that's a great, that's a, a, a new competition that we just started. It's in its third year, and it's for artists that are 18 to 24 years old. Mm. And I have some really, I have some ideas on how to um, kind of propel that forward too. I'm, I'm real interested in spending some time brainstorming about how you get the word out. Um, it's so important. I, I know, Jeff, you have a lot of young people. I'm so impressed by what they're creating and their dedication. Um, and so I really want that competition to be something that art teachers tell their students about so um, that we can get a, 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 a larger entry and then just, just the word out. And I'd, I'd like to do a little bit of fundraising to up the prize because it's, it's difficult and challenging to be an art student. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, and so that's the membership page and um, just shows you how you can join. It's really reasonable. It's $75 a year. Um, and that includes all of our publications and, um, and a discount to the conference. 
And then, um, so there's our competitions. Um, the members only is really popular. Um, the future generations is the one we just talked about. And then, of course, the international um, is, um, is, you know, our yearly where the people mm -hmm. actually bring the, the piece in person. So, um, yeah. So with the future generations one, I wanted to bring up something that I admire about you guys. And well, first, let me go back to this here. Let's see if I could find that picture here. Okay, right here. I don't know if uh, our viewers can see this, but in this photo, you'll notice that about 90%, if not 98% of the people in that picture are middle-aged women. Um, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. and I'm, That's true. We are. Our membership is made up of, yeah, a good percentage. Yeah, is, is which women. is great. Yeah. But my, here's my point, though, in that I think there's, there's uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a, that the demographic that can afford to take time off from work, go to a conference for four days, pay for a hotel room, pay for, even though your conference is very affordable, you know, that's a big chunk of change for a lot of people. So, so it's right. difficult for- We have to for, be able to keep the price down. No, you have. You guys are really affordable. Yeah. But you know, plane tickets, yeah. time off of work, doesn't matter if you're free. Absolutely. Like there was a time hotel. when I was 18 or between 18 and 30, probably, even if it was free, I couldn't have afforded the plane, the hotel, and you know what I mean, the time off, whatever. But what you guys are doing is you're doing these scholarships so that young people that aren't part of this demographic that can afford to do this are are able to come which i think is so generous and good of you guys to do it's i think it's so important we did 36 this year at the conference and um and we could have done 50. um we had we had about 75 people apply and they just write a, a 300 um, word statement and then they submit three works so you know we read through them and and the need uh, is is really you know, it gets you, but you want to also look at the work because you want to make sure that you're offering it to people that you can make the most difference with. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's a good combination of 300 word and the three images. And we just get wonderful letters back from them, the experience. And, you know, Ed often talked about, you know, if I had been 19 years old and went to an event like that, you just throw open the door of information and experience. And hope too. You give you give these young people hope that I could go out and make a living um, off of this. Because a lot of times when when young people say, "Well, I want to go to art school," they're very discouraged. They're just like, "You won't be able to make a living." You 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 know, not encouraged and supported. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, many. Well, many's probably uh, stretch, but I'd say probably at least half a dozen of my students have applied and you guys have been generous enough to give them scholarships and it's life-changing for them. They could, so last year I had, how many students did I have there last year? One, two, I don't know if they were all on scholarship, but a few of them were one, I think like four. And now my entire, my entire atelier wants to go the following, this coming year. They're all, cause they came back and oh, were just it. like giddy it. over the whole thing. And now my entire yeah. my entire school wants to go um, because of how yeah. how excited they were and how pumped up they were when they got back. So yeah, it's really it's really a great thing that you guys offer. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's partly the funds for that partly come from that auction that you do 
Yes, the six by nine mystery yeah. art sale. That was actually an idea that came from Dan Green. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is we ask um, previous um, winners of the competition, um, previous like gold medal. Um, so, you know, a little bit of a quality, you know, it's an invitational thing. Mm -hmm. And um, we send them the panels and they create a work of art that's six by nine and they sign it on the back. And then Friday night at the conference, we attach them to these big poster boards all around the room. It's a really fun event. Oh, it's and, so fun um, and so frustrating because I can't so win. I, I know. Ah. I know. <laughs> I, every work I tried to get this year, I, I was not successful. Yeah, um, same. One year, one year I got a Burt Silverman and I was just oh. over the moon, over the moon. And I, I love that piece. And one time my son got a Mary White. And so... Um, but um, you feel like you really you won the lottery when they call okay, out your name. I got to cut you off here. You are the executive okay. director. This says a yeah. lot about this is what I love about your organization. I mean, I mean, you're really the face of it in my mind. This is why I invited you to do this. But is like you could have just you have this pile of 100, 200 of these <laughs> things. You and you know they're all going to be 250 bucks, right? You could just take yeah, a few off the, the top. Same price. Yeah. Yeah, you could take the few off the top that you want and do the rest of them, but you don't. You actually I know. You, you actually go don't. through the same thing everyone we else go, does. We do we stand in line and just like everybody else. See, that is thing. such integrity. Seriously. Cuz I don't I mean, I would be so tempted to take the best ones for oh, myself. I'm tempted. There's no <laughs> question about it. Yeah, I'm tempted, but we just, you know, and even, um, you know, even the faculty um, donating their time, you guys pay for your own ticket and we don't pay you an honorarium. But that is the reason why we could keep the tuition at $500 because mm -hmm. other organizations that do this kind of thing, you know, they charge between 1100 and 1300 for the weekend. But the portrait study is about how, how many people could we reach and mm -hmm. how important our mission is. So... But you're right. We 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 apply it all. You know, we have to stand in line like everybody else. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, there were a couple <laughs> I wanted so last year. Too. I lost yeah. them. And then another yeah. thing that you do that I think is really awesome, um, and I always look forward to, is you have that store where you have different yes. uh, companies so we do have come an and exhibit show. Hall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's great. So we have about. Um, I think there's 20 booths in there and we have a variety of vendors from, you know, brushes to paint to, um, I've been working on trying to get a canvas, um, uh, vendor in there and I haven't been able to do that. Hmm. Um, but, um, cause I do get that question a lot about canvas. Um, well, you have panels, people who make thing. canvas panels there. Yes, I do. Yeah, we do have that and they're very popular and we've got a couple framers in there. Um, and, um, uh, a variety of supplies and so and then we have the book and um a dvd table too so um the art book table and so um yeah and that's a really popular room and, you know at jeff and i think it's just the same thing like what the portrait society is doing is that you know times have, are changing things and i do think that the art material supply um uh, business has changed so much. I mean, um, I, I just heard that Jack Richardson sold um, their company. I know um, uh, Pierre with um, Sinlier sold to McPherson. And it's just, 
you know, it used to be that you wholesaled your materials to a retailer and then that retailer sold them. And that has really changed with the, um, with the internet and with the pandemic. And a lot of people that come to the conference say, our town doesn't even have an art supply store. You can't go and look at a material, feel it, try it. They just don't have it anymore. So I do think the, the exhibit hall is really important. Yeah, I mean, I live in Salt Lake City and we only have one art supply store. I mean, and you it's, and it's yeah. Blick, but it's a small Blick. You know, it and it's like, this is a yeah. big city. We don't even have our Blick. Yeah. yeah, I know, we don't even have Blick anymore. Yeah. Well, and then you get you get people stores. like foreign um, people from out of the country, like Rosemary Brushes, that which is super convenient um, because you can just stock up while they're in, right. in the country. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good opportunity. So, Christine, is there anything else you'd like to add about the Porch Society before we close? Um, just like to do a little shout out to all the artists that agreed to come and teach because it does take time out of their production schedule. They do pay for their own travel. Um, we try to help with the hotel, but, um, you know, if they were willing to come and share their knowledge um, and with, you know, their fellow artists, we, we couldn't exist. So um, just, you know, I'm, I'm very appreciative of that and very aware of the dedication that it takes to prepare a program and come and give it, so. Well, I, that's nice of you to say, but I can't speak for all artists, but I could say for myself, I'd be really disappointed if I wasn't invited <laughs> because you guys make it such a great, you make it such a great experience. It's, it's a blast. Like oh, I said so earlier, good. I look forward to coming every year, so. So that thank so you. Good to hear. Thank you for it's everything you do for artists. Thanks for what you do for the faculty, for what you do for artists around the country, around the world, and with your dedication to um, education. And we all appreciate the the vision that Ed had. Of course, we all miss him. He was he's such a great yes. man. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's and I feel like it. It's I do feel like it's a his legacy that he had this kernel of idea, but then we've all contributed to growing it. So yeah. I'm really proud of the Portrait Society. As you should be. Well, thanks again. Really appreciate you being here and having this chat with well, me. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.